Welcome to Policy Today, thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. Hi, this is Mary Strau. Welcome to another episode of Policy Today, brought to you by the Washington Research Council. I'm happy to be joined today by John Devaney, who also happens to be an old friend, Um, but he's here um, not just as my buddy who is going to be having a conversation with me, but uh, in his official position as president of the Washington State Tree Fruit Association. And today we are going to be talking about trade. Um, you may recall a few episodes ago, we spoke with Eric Schinfeld about, um, broadly about the importance of trade and trade agreements to Washington State. And the reason we're doing this, both because it's so important to the economy, but also because in this particular uh, presidential campaign season, uh, trade agreements have become somewhat of a punching bag. Um, They have been blamed for a variety of things, income inequality, loss of jobs, um, et cetera, et cetera. Here in Washington state, um, we have a very uh, perhaps different relationship with trade and trade agreements than maybe other parts of the country because we are one of the most trade-dependent states in the nation. And whether you're talking about aerospace or agriculture um, or technology or a variety of other things, um, many, many, many of our jobs are dependent on vibrant uh, thriving and open trade on a global scale. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Mary. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. So, let's just dive right into it. Um, first, why don't you give a, just a brief description of what the, what the Washington State uh, Tree Fruit Association is, what it does, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. The Washington State Tree Fruit Association is a voluntary nonprofit industry association that was formed just two years ago through the merger of four longtime industry associations. As our industry has gotten bigger and and consolidated like much of agriculture, there are fewer growers than there used Mm -hmm. to be, but many of them are larger. Uh, Our industry members felt that there was a need to have uh, streamlining of our organizations so that we could have faster decision-making, speak Mm -hmm. to Olympia with a unified voice, Mm-hmm. and deliver more efficient services for the, the growers' dollars that they mm-hmm. pay and use. Um, our focus is on government affairs at the state level, on industry education and training, and on data collection and dissemination to the industry. We have growers who need to make a lot of important financial decisions, and they need to know what varieties of fruit are returning good, good profits, uh, mm-hmm. what, how much is left so they can make pricing and sales decisions. Right. And um, what role does uh, your product, tree fruit, um, play in the Washington state economy? Uh, tree fruit is, uh, plays a big role in agriculture, which is still the number one sector in the state's economy. That's right. People uh, often forget that. Yeah. And people also tend to assume that agriculture just means farmers, um, mm-hmm. when agriculture and food processing is a much bigger industry. Right. Um, our association represents the growers and packers and marketers of all tree fruits, 
primarily that's apples, pears, mm-hmm. and cherries, but also mm-hmm. includes other stone fruits like peaches and nectarines and so on. Mm-hmm. And I'm very um, sad because the, the peach season is winding down, and yes, it's always it a sad is. time for me. But you can always get apples and pears. They're available exactly year round. year round. It's fabulous. Yeah. So enjoy the, the limited time items while you can, and then mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. back to your apples. Exactly. Um, we have uh, our tree fruits in the state uh, represent over a quarter of all of the farm gate value of agricultural production. Wow. Uh, so often people think of agriculture on an acre basis, and you, know, mm-hmm. you drive through eastern Washington on your way to Spokane or Pullman, you see a lot of wheat fields. But what is often overlooked is that the high-value fruit and vegetable products really generate a lot of value for our, our state's economy. Yeah. Um, Apples is the number one commodity in the state. So when mm. we're talking about trade, I will often talk primarily about apples just because it's, it's the biggest crop. Yeah. And apples uh, do support, on an annual basis, uh, about 40,000 direct jobs in wow. production and packing of that fruit. Because we mm-hmm. don't just take it off the tree and put it in the bin and sell it. It has to be sorted, packed, sold. Mm-hmm and so on. Mm-hmm. So that supports a lot of jobs in our state's economy. Yeah. Um, and how important is trade to the tree fruit industry, I guess, or sector yeah. uh, in it's, Washington State? It's extremely important. Uh, crop sizes vary from year to year, uh, but on average, we are exporting about a third of our crops uh, okay. all of all of those tree fruits. Uh, to overseas markets. Mm -hmm. So maintaining access to those markets and staying competitive with other countries that produce tree fruit Mm -hmm. is very important. Uh, We know Washington State as an apple-producing state. Uh, But what people often forget is, you know, there are other countries that do grow apples too, and while ours are, of course, better, um, (laughs) we do have to maintain some range of financial competitiveness relative to those other products or mm-hmm. uh, people will source from those other countries instead. And you know, For example, China is a major export market for Washington apples, but China mm-hmm. is also by far the world's largest producer of apples, growing more oh, than really? all the apples produced in the world. Oh, interesting. So, so we're competing with China. We're competing with China and in China. And in uh, China. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a very um, high-quality product, and mm-hmm. our reputation for both quality and food safety serve us well in developing markets abroad right. uh, where they may not have those same food safety standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to also maintain price competitiveness because a lot of these yeah. developing markets don't have um, unlimited pocketbooks to purchase food products. Right. We're used to, in the United States, spending a fairly small amount of our discretionary income on food mm-hmm. compared to a lot of countries in the developing world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talked about staying competitive and having open markets. So I imagine that's where these, the trade agreements come in, correct? Yeah. Because if you are trying to do it on your own, own, and I'm sure there's a lot of work that you do on your own, but it's important to have sort of a government-wide um, initiative so, so, yeah. that you, so that you can gain access to these markets. 
correct. Um, what is before we even start talking about foreign markets? It's important mm-hmm. to remember that the U.S. market for food and agricultural products is pretty much an open market. We mm, do not yeah. have tariff walls for products coming into the U.S. So we're already oh, right. We have yeah. already flung wide the doors to imported products. And so when we talk about trade agreements uh, in gaining access to foreign markets, it's really all upside for our exporters, mm-hmm. uh, and it's get it's leveling the playing field for our producers who are right now seeing the U.S. market being open to foreign competitors, but we mm-hmm. may not be able to access those foreign markets as, as fairly. Interesting. The other aspect of market access uh, is that it's not um, it's twofold. First, mm-hmm. you have to have permission to ship. And you have to have tariff rates set low enough that our exports are competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, we've tended to think of export trade agreements as just being a matter of tariff reductions. Yeah. Uh, because there used to be really prohibitively high tariffs to a large number of countries so that we were not able to export to those markets. Right. That was sort of the but, standard thing. They would make yes. the tariffs so high that it was you couldn't compete price-wise. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about classic free trade policies, it really was about tariff access. Yeah. What we're often faced with now, especially in, in fresh whole fruits, which mm-hmm. are not processed, mm-hmm. is uh, sanitary and phytosanitary trade barriers. Yeah. Are they concerned about there being pests or diseases on you know, a, a fruit product that has no kill step? You know, mm-hmm. not... You've not cooked it, so if there were a bug in the box, you you might have it be transmitted, and they want to make sure that any importers are taking steps to make sure that they do not introduce plant pests into their country, which is a reasonable policy that we have, too. Sure. But if if you want to say that you've reached an agreement but still keep your market closed, you can often drag your feet on some of those technical processes and throw up non-tariff trade barriers, which can make it impossible to access those export markets. Yeah, all of a sudden, some country may say, oh, we're concerned about this bug, even though they have no evidence of it. Oh, we're concerned. And so that becomes, in effect, a trade barrier. Yes. Yeah. And some of them are legitimate and some of them yeah. are questionable, but yeah. <laughs> uh, different countries have different administrative procedures. We're mm-hmm. so used to U.S. government administrative procedures where they generally follow a predictable pattern and sometimes mm-hmm. they grind slowly, but it's open and there are public comment periods and you know how you know there's advance notice before a rule is finalized and things like that. Right. Not every foreign government <laughs> operates that way. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> And so often what U.S. trade negotiators are seeking to do is to provide some means of having science-based decision-making and Mm -hmm. clear and open processes in resolving those non-tariff trade barriers and removing them so that we can access those those markets that have a lot of potential for our agricultural exporters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And that's something you couldn't do on your own. No, you you really can't. It has to be uh, on a government negotiate. Right. Yeah, it has to be a government to government negotiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can provide input to our government officials. We can provide sure. input to foreign government officials, but really those agreements have to be concluded between the two governments. Exactly, and that's you know I I think one of the complaints, one of the um, many complaints I've heard from some. Uh, Certain candidates who shall remain unnamed in this uh, election cycle. Well, why do you? Why don't you just? Why do you need all these big bureaucratic? Well, because, y- as you you just said, you know sometimes you're dealing with countries that have different. 
procedures than we do. And you have to um, make things more predictable and make sure there are processes set up so that everyone, you know, so it's leveling the playing field. Um, and that's just something you cannot do yourself. Um, and it really has to be done. If you are going to open up these markets, it does have to be done on a government-to-government basis. Exactly. And often what uh, these agreements are asking these foreign governments to do is adopt something that looks much more like the U.S. government's rulemaking process mm-hmm. versus a more ad hoc, arbitrary, and hard to predict and interact with rulemaking process. And mm-hmm. I'm not naming any names of particular countries. <laughs> right. Yeah, we won't, uh, we won't insult anybody, but uh, no. they know who they are. And our listeners can probably take a pretty good guess. Probably so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, when you're talking about, say, business regulations here within the U.S., it's it's all about predictability. I mean, obviously, the less onerous, the better, but everyone recognizes there needs to be regulations, but it's just the whole manner of predictability Yes, and, you, and consistency. Yes. When you have an unpredictable trade market, uh, trade environment, uh, the cost to growers, particularly of tree fruit, which is a perennial crop. Right. Um, you do not change your production of tree fruit annually. You know, you plant a tree, you wait a couple of years for it to start producing, mm-hmm. you expect it to stay in the ground and producing fruit for decades. Yeah. You really are making a long-term investment. And it was once the case that we produced largely a couple of varieties of apples and, and really pushed those uh, couple of options out to the marketplace. We mm-hmm. standardized and then uh, competed on, on price and consistency. Mm-hmm. That was really the 20th century model of, of industrial and agricultural production. But that's not really what consumers are looking for anymore. Um, I'm often asked by folks, um, which apple variety is the new red delicious? <laughs> <laughs> and I have to remind them that, well, there really isn't a single apple variety that we're trying to switch to. We still have yeah. red delicious. That's still about a quarter of our crop right? Down from well over 50% that it used to be. Uh, but now we're producing honey crisp and you know, cosmic crisp and a whole variety of oh, yeah. apples that are trying to give every consumer the exact um, taste profile they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's often the case for export markets as well. Consumers abroad want particular varieties of fruit. They want particular sizes of fruit. Mm-hmm. And if you are a grower who's saying, I'm targeting a particular export market for this size of fruit of this variety, and then that market closes down. Mm, yeah, you are in a world of hurt because That's right. you do not easily translate that product over to a different customer. Right, if everyone right. was buying red or golden delicious. You could say that if this customer doesn't want that red delicious, this other one will. But if you are targeting an extra large Fuji that might be preferred by a Taiwanese customer, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and then that market is you're not able to access it because of either, say, slowdowns at the port, just to take a random example, <laughs> uh, then what are you going to be able to do with that product? You're trying to push it to a consumer that maybe wants a small Honeycrisp or right. wants a Gala, uh, and they're not necessarily going to easily be substituting out their preferred product for the other one without a big price incentive that comes out of the grower's pocket. So having consistency in access to these export markets 
can ensure that growers are able to produce what those customers want and not take big losses when there's sudden disruptions to those trading patterns. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's an interesting point you raised. So th- trade agreements can also... Um I mean, obviously, they, if a country has entered into this trade agreement, that means there's not going to be a sudden, it's not just the, the rules and the processes that are made more consistent and reliable, but obviously, um, it's going to prevent whatever country, country X, from all of a sudden just saying, we're done, you know, we're going right. to shut off access. Has that, you know, was that a common thing before the era of trade agreements or are there countries now where that happens that we haven't entered into trade agreements yet? It was more common and it still does occur. And that's part of the goal of some of these new trade agreements, such as the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is Mm -hmm. to try to uh, get these foreign trading partners to commit to a more science-based and and easily resolvable process when these kinds of issues arise. Yeah. Uh, the TPP is one that's particularly of interest to fruit growers, because if you look at the countries that are party to the agreement, um, many of them we already have uh, trade agreements with. So mm-hmm. the actual numbers of tariffs being reduced for, on our agricultural products is fairly small. Um, there's, uh, it's really primarily countries like Vietnam that are, are going to see a reduction in tariffs, and Japan as well. Okay. Uh, but the predictability on the resolution of non-tariff trade barriers would be a huge benefit. And when mm-hmm. you look at the, the amount of our exports that goes to those TPP uh, signatory countries, mm-hmm. that would, that's over 50% of our exports. Oh, interesting. So at least last year, it was about just under 52% of our Apple exports were to TPP member countries. Okay. So that, having that agreement in place would provide a lot more predictability for our exporters, in addition to having some tariff benefits in, in a couple of export markets. In a couple. Interesting. Um, so TPP, I mean, it's, its chances look pretty grim right now, um, although there's a hope springs eternal that there might be some lame duck thing or that if Hillary Clinton wins, that... Uh, there would be a certain amount of time and maybe a certain amount of tweaking done to it. Um, Um, I would just just say that anyone who's lived through the last year in American politics has learned not to make ironclad predictions. I know. I know. It's always like, well, a person can hope. But what... what what are the so we've talked about the upsides if it if TPP is approved and obviously when you're talking about <clears throat> all of the exports and then the forty thousand jobs what are I mean not to be like a uh, um a super pessimist but what are the downsides if it doesn't get approved with, you know, you talked about some of the countries, the, your main concern, major concern is the non-tariff barriers. Yes. Um, one of the concerns that we have is that some of our uh, competitor suppliers are already concluding other uh, bilateral and multilateral free trade agreements with the oh. export market. So oh. the, the threat is that we will see them have preferential access to mm-hmm. these growing markets in the in Latin America and the Pacific Rim that we do not have. 
uh, and that our exporters, our agricultural producers, will be at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, and we can already see the, the effects of some of these non-tariff trade barriers in what used to be established in good export markets for us, like in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to export a fairly large amount of fruit to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this last year for the 2015 crop that was harvested last fall and mm-hmm. you know, is being wrapped up, uh, we've exported just a little over 32 million uh, standard 40-pound boxes of fruit. You know, picture something that's about the size of a, of a ream of paper box, you know, Right. Yep. So that's about how yep. big a standard box of apples is. Right. And we exported over 32 million of those. Wow. And only about 163,000 of those went to Europe. Wow. And that largely that's because of European governmental restrictions on um, chemical residues of things that are not necessarily a safety risk, but are products that may not be registered in their country. So they see the, the opportunity to say, well, if we took this off the list of approved products, it wouldn't harm our growers and we will indirectly prevent U.S. producers from sending their products here. Mm. So we can see significant barriers to access through these non-tariff uh, technical issues that keep us from accessing important markets. Right. And I think that that's an example of even in fairly friendly and rules-based countries, you can see protectionist measures going through uh, these non-tariff means that can close off access. Right. And then, of course, once you lose access and somebody else, some other country gets in, then even if it does open up later on, then you've, you've um, it's not so much of a level playing field because someone's already established and you've got to go in and really work the marketing. And, right. Um, yeah. Um, uh, what are some of our, um, you mentioned earlier that over 50% of your exports go to countries that are part of the TPP. What, have, what are some of your, the countries that are the um, biggest buyers, I guess, of, of well, your tree fruit I'd, apples? I'd like to, to talk about because it's also a reflection of the the current political environment and the extent to which we take for granted beneficial aspects of bilateral relationships mm-hmm. and focus on problem areas. Mm-hmm. So Mexico has been getting mm-hmm. a lot of negative attention in the yes. cycle. From um, one, just from one certain person. Yeah. One and, certain candidate. Know, and certainly you know, when you have um, you know, large volumes of immigration, there sometimes is stresses and strains. We saw that 100 years ago as well. It's not that unusual. It's not necessarily the the most edifying spectacle, but it happens. Mm -hmm. But uh, what is often overlooked in the context of discussing our relationship with Mexico is the amount of U.S. product that is exported there. And people look at agriculture and labor-dependent agriculture like the fruit and vegetable sector and always look at, well, all of these people who are foreign nationals come up to work those crops. Mm -hmm. But and which is true, but what sure. is often overlooked is that Mexico is by far our number one export market. Isn't that we are, something? We are exporting huge amounts of apples, pears, and, and quite a few cherries as well to consumers in Mexico. And hmm. That is growing as their economy prospers. So right. We export about 10% of our entire crop to Mexico every year. Wow. 
it's a lot of apples that go to Mexico. And Canada is our number two export market. So okay. while sometimes the NAFTA agreement of 20 years ago is viewed as a, a trade a bad a trade agreement because anything that any industry sector that has not been competitive over that time, people blame the trade agreement for their troubles. Yes. But everyone takes for granted the benefits of mm-hmm. those trade agreements and the growth in exports that have come from those agreements. It's mm-hmm. really easy to focus on your grievances and not on the benefits you've received. Exactly. Yeah, and that's uh, you know that's a problem. You, as you said, they take you take it for granted, and then if it, if it were to go away, I mean, certainly here in Washington State, where we're so trade dependent, and we have seen the benefits. Um, I mean, I think you'd you'd probably see a lot of um, negative repercussions um, if we yeah. were to to to, to adapt more of an inward looking isolationist. I mean, where would where would you <laughs> where would you send all your fruit, right? Yes. And uh, some people will sometimes say, well, agriculture, that's not a great industry. You know, who wants a job picking apples anyway? Right. Well, what they overlook is that the food processing and agricultural sector is a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, We support also a lot of jobs which are related to research, technology, sales, marketing. And to export overseas takes a lot of expertise uh, Absolutely. in international business to move mm-hmm. product around. You know, there's a lot of union truck drivers that are moving our apples to Absolutely. And around the country. Yeah. And if, and if you lose that economic activity, uh, that you need uh, basic agricultural production workers to support, you're going to lose a lot of those higher income professional jobs as mm-hmm. well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a definite ripple effect. Yeah. Um, it's it. You know, these days with our economy that's so global, it's hard to just contain one aspect of it, or, or think you can contain it. Um, yeah. It just it doesn't really work that way anymore. Um, so, John, what are your? I've sort of um, tainted the water here by, by by saying the outlook was grim. But what what do you think? about the TPP, what has your organization been um, saying to your elected officials about TPP, and uh, what have you been hearing about it? We've been hearing, well, we've been telling all of our elected officials that uh, TPP and, and in general, uh, rules-based market access is mm-hmm. really important to our industry. Yeah. And Continued growth because agriculture can continue to be a growth industry. Sure. We expect to keep growing. Uh, we may not be adding acreage, but we're becoming more productive, just like mm-hmm. any other industry. Exactly. Uh, you use improved technology to be more efficient. Uh, you're going to produce more, mm-hmm. and that's that's true in uh, tree fruit production as well. And so we're looking to keep growing our production and our exports. Uh, and we need a fair and predictable rules-based trading system in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, our Washington State delegation understands that. Uh, yes. But we, we need other states uh, and other members of Congress to understand that as well. Right. Uh, no one is going to tell you anything specific before an election. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, but we'll have to see what happens afterwards. Right. Uh, and it may be that the TPP... Uh, uh, is is modified. It may be that it's passed. It may be that it's not. Right. But 
regardless of the outcome, the U.S. government needs to maintain a commitment to continuing to push for uh, fair and open access to foreign markets. Yeah. I think even the most those who are most skeptical of uh, of trade agreements, you know, not necessarily knowing a lot about them, but they just say trade agreements to yes. voters, and they're initially skeptical. If you tell them, well, do you like the status quo of they have access and we don't? Uh-huh. They would probably tell you no. Right. <laughs> so our, yeah. It our depends. government needs to, yeah. yeah. It depends on how what information they're being given and how it's being given to them. Yes. And it's, and it's the same problem that we talked about a minute ago. It's very hard uh, when the benefits are in the future of mm-hmm. more jobs that will be created, uh, but someone thinks that their job now might be threatened and, and they are not, they can't take for granted the job that they may get uh, as a result of the agreement. Exactly. Benefits are in the longer term and the potential costs of that exchange might be in the shorter term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot of room um, now for greater education um, about what trade means, what it doesn't mean. You know, I think it's sort of unfairly getting um, uh, uh, roped in with this whole globalization and economic insecurity um, when it it really doesn't have at least with regards to the the trade that's happening in Washington state you know it doesn't it's more of a of a job grower and an economy grower and so perhaps it's up to um us to and other policymakers you know whether in DC or in Olympia um to work harder at explaining to the public what exactly trade means what trade agreements mean and why we need them yeah and I think agriculture is doing that quite a bit. Yeah. Well, and you think about apples. I mean, you know, it's one thing to think about, to hear a certain candidate blasting NAFTA. And, oh, it's in a factory overseas. But if you're talking about apples and opening up our markets, that's a lot more positive. Yeah. I think you just have to look at the state of the world today uh, and ask which countries have more open markets and how prosperous are they and which exactly. countries have the most closed markets. And would you rather be Singapore or would you rather be North Korea? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. and that, you know, that's, those are sort of extreme examples, mm-hmm. but you, know, you are really not going to protect your way to prosperity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean... In times like this, when we're going through, there's a real economic shift going on, um, and a lot of people feel insecure, and there are a lot of, you know, there's underemployment and unemployment, and people are talking about income inequality, and they're still feeling the results of the Great Recession, so it's easy to sort of glom on to something like NAFTA or trade or globalization and make that the bad guy, but if you really want to make things better... You know, you have you have to be more um, fact based, right? You make a, a really good point about the current skepticism about income inequality and sort of crony capitalism. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the strange things is that those who are most opposed to, or on, you know, rhetorically, to government currying favor of particular industries uh, are the most hostile to these broad based trade agreements <laughs> that are creating a uniform standard for all businesses to operate in when we yeah. see our 
you know, the most protectionist countries abroad are those who are taking action on behalf of a few interests within their economies. You know, it's exactly. Really the, it's the crony capitalist model to be protective of a few influence uh, right. influencers within their systems. So that's a really it, good it's point. It's a strange marriage of the hostility to crony capitalism with a favorability towards a more protectionist trade environment. Yeah. Um, n- not as much logical consistency as we might wish for, right? To put it, well, to put it I nicely. Well, we always do with more logic in politics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's good, my own bias. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> oh, boy. I, I am always hopeful. I know. I know. I know. We can, I think we should stay optimistic, even, yeah. even in these uh, days. The American people get it right after they've tried everything else. I, yeah. Yeah. Before, I wife. think Pfizer man. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, John, thank you very much um, for joining us today. This has been really interesting, and I hope our listeners have learned a lot about, um, you know, what trade means. And I think you know the tree fruit um, sector is a great example of how beneficial um, these trade agreements can be to our state to, you know, the 40,000 people, as you mentioned, who work in your industry and then, you know, just um, in broader terms to our, to our economy and the contributions the tree fruit industry makes to, to Washington State's economy. Thank you uh, very much. It was a pleasure, and I always enjoy your podcast. So it was, it was oh, good. We love fans. We, lo- we love our fans. Um, and just a reminder to everybody, we are on... In addition to our website and on SoundCloud, we are now um, on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn. So we're everywhere, just about everywhere you can find podcasts, we're there. Um, So thank you, John, and thank you to our listeners, and we'll talk to you next time. Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.